Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk with our friend, member of the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, and head coach of the Drury University bass fishing team, Rick Emmett. Rick gives us a unique perspective as a coach in a rapidly growing sport, college fishing. We really enjoyed speaking with him. He had some really cool insights, and uh, I know you guys will enjoy this one. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. We're happy to be coming back at you this week, and uh, we've got an interesting episode. We've got a very cool guest on tap, Rick Emmett. Um, We'll get into some of Rick's accomplishments and some of what he's up to now here in a little bit, but before uh, we do that, let's just go around the table and this week it's a very short table because it's just Rob and I Nick is uh, battling some some family illness this morning he was up all night so uh, Rob shaking his head I'm shaking my head but we know Nick is uh, he would have done anything to be on he must have had a a heck of a night so uh, Rob what's up with you dude what are you up to this morning Uh, just enjoying our Arizona monsoon weather Um, it's been awful hot during the day, but we've been getting some rain and wind in the evening and stuff. So it's pretty cool. But majority of the time I, uh, this time of year, I get up super early and mountain bike, you know, as the sun's coming up, uh, last night, um, since COVID they, they shut down these rides. They, um, so all of through 2020, we didn't get to do it, but there's a, uh, uh, like a County park and it's got a big trail system in it. And they do these once a month summer night rides and there'll be 150, 200 riders at these, at these events. And it's not really an event. It's cause it's just kind of, you just go ride, but it's super cool. Cause you ride through these rolling Hills and you look back and there's just like a line of, of lights from mountain bikes ride. And it's, it's pretty cool. Does but it get competitive? No, not really. Other than just me and my buddies, you know, in, in our little group, we'll, we'll chase each other down and stuff. But, um, it's like 15 or 16 miles, just a good ride, good night ride, not very technical, you know, but good workout. <clears throat> so last night, uh, we get to the parking lot and my buddy, he runs, uh, the BMX races throughout the country. So he's like, we're looking at this storm cloud off in the distance. And he's like, I got this. I got the special app on my phone. I run the races. We can't have kids out in the lightning and all this stuff. He goes, I got it. <laughs> I'm like, it's okay, so he, he didn't think it was he goes, hit. he goes, that thing's a, that thing's a hundred miles away. It's not, I mean, whatever, you know, he, so I'm trusting him. Right. So we would just take off on our bikes and think about it. Like we're five miles into it. You're not turning back. And, oh, no. oh dude, the wind starts blowing and it's sideways. Like you had all you could do to stay upright. The wind was blowing so hard. Accompanied by dust. No dust, thank goodness. I don't know why that was. Maybe it had rained enough the night before yeah, to where probably. it was. Dude, if there would have been dust, that'd have been terrible. But <laughs> <laughs> so we we get going, and all of a sudden the lightning starts hitting. I mean, there's lightning everywhere, 
And then the rain came and the trail is literally a river. I mean, there's just water running down the trail. And you're five miles from the truck. Well, at this point, we're probably, you know, we're probably seven or eight miles into it. And, you know, we still have seven or eight miles, nine miles to go, whatever it was. And there's a little shelter and we knew where that was. So we get to that. There's 20 dudes under a freaking little shelter with a metal roof and you're standing on metal cleats because you have cleats on your shoes, you know. I'm like, yeah, it's probably not a good idea. So we ended up taking off. The storm blew through at that point, but we were completely sopping wet. Um, yeah, it was, it, I'm scared to death of lightning. So I was giving, I gave my buddy a, a hard time the entire way home. And, but it was a lot of fun because we actually made it. Got home, found a tree snapped off in my front yard. So, I mean, it's, we've had some pretty wild weather lately and we, uh, definitely need the rain and it's raining up north which is awesome and so yeah that's Dude, what i've been up to that's crazy that these monsoons for all the the listeners that live in arizona they understand how weird they are but like it's it's dry as a bone out here almost all year long and then we have this like two-month period where these storms can hit and last summer we didn't get many but <clears throat> we've told a few stories on the podcast about these monsoons hitting when we're on the water and um we can get you know, what's called a microburst. And I don't know if yours was considered a microburst, what you guys got yesterday. It sounded horrible, but it's like a, it's like a storm, a thunderstorm on steroids when it comes to the wind. And, and sometimes it just is like a regular storm and then it just intensifies. I don't know what makes it a microburst, but like, it's amazing the power that some of these storms will pack and how quick they come and go. Um, we had the night before at our house, we had 70 mile an hour wind, dude. It completely destroyed all the landscape in the neighborhood. You know, it's a, it's wow. a big family neighborhood. So the trampolines are <laughs> flying many. through the air. Oh dude, we've got a trampoline and I didn't think about it. You know, it's a, I didn't think we were going to get that type of wind, dude. At, at this thing got, I watched it. As soon as the, the wind started blowing, I watched it get lifted out of the grass and thankfully it got pinned in like the corner of the backyard and it stayed there. And yesterday was so hot. I didn't even go out and get it again. It's still sitting in, uh, flipped over in the corner of the yard, but dude, there were trampolines, uh, in, in the parks in, uh, everybody you know, gets this... a new trampoline and pool toys. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. We got someone's tablecloth grill covers are everywhere. Nice. Uh, just insane wind, but I guess that's a good a good reason uh, not to to always go with your gut when it comes to weather, right? And not trust oh, your yeah. buddy. Yeah, and I'm such a wimp, dude. I wouldn't have went, but I'm like, whatever. Pressure. I'm not I'm not going to be that guy. I just <sighs> say it. But whatever. It, I'm I'm so glad I did because it was actually pretty cool. Other than the fact that my bike is just destroyed with sand and mud, and I mean, it's but. It's all good. So yeah, I didn't think about how nasty those trails could get when it's like that, huh? So just going yeah. through straight water. Oh yes. I mean, it was just, just a spray. Like I had grit in my teeth and it's such a cool deal. This, whoever puts this on, well, I, it, it's a bike shop that puts this on out there. And at the end, they always um, have like video screens with mountain biking videos on and everyone kind of hangs it out and they grill hot dogs and brats. And oh, it's, that's awesome. It is. It's a really That's cool a blast. deal. Yeah. Yeah. So what cool. time does it start? It starts right. So we dark. started on the trail at seven. So right as it's getting dark and then, uh, 
you know, you ride into the dark. And so it's pretty cool. It's a fun yeah, ride. That's awesome. And that's just anything you do this time of year, I guess it's, you risk the monsoon, just like the night tournaments, you know, the, the yeah, night tournament sure. season in Arizona starts, kicks off in, in May, typically late May, early June. And you know, those first couple tournaments, you don't have to worry about the monsoons. It's smooth. Yeah. Uh, fishing usually gets going really good as far as night, like later in June, but at least you're not worried about the monsoons for the first couple. And then later in the summer, you've got those, those couple wild card events and you know, every summer there's going to be one or two where dudes are sinking boats, uh, you know, hiding from lightning. It just, that's just how it goes. But we still, we still choose to put ourselves out there. I'll, dude, yeah. I'll, I'll, go ahead. That reminds me of when Boyd and I went fishing what, last week, whenever that was. Um, we're sitting there on the ramp watching the lake and it's, it's watching this storm develop. And there's a pontoon boat on the entire different side of the lake and they start coming and we're watching them binoculars. And <laughs> all of a sudden they made the smartest move I've ever seen. They turned around and went into a cove. Nice. And, and as, as the storm calmed down here, they came back out and they were going towards the ramp. So they, they made the right move because they Props were to in them. trouble. Yeah. 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 You always, you always, and same thing in those storms, you see the photos of the dudes that tried to load their boats up in the middle of a storm like that. And I've been dumb enough to do that before Me myself too. too. Me too. And, I smashed a fender on one of my trailers. My, I, I missed the trailer and the boat landed right on top of the fender and smashed it to the tire. There goes a thousand bucks. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Good for them for uh, for being smart like that. I'll tell you the one time that I uh, had listened to a buddy, let a buddy get get in my head about going out in a storm. It was uh, we were at Lake Martin in Alabama, dude, and um, it was the first event that Roy Hawk, our buddy Roy, who's been on the show, had traveled with us. It was like 2018, and James and I, Elam and I, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. We get up, it's the first morning of practice, and there's a monster thunderstorm heading our way. And we're like, dang, you know, we're excited to get out. It's actually the first tournament of the season. We're excited to get on the water, but it's like, you're going to launch the boat, get on the water for like 10 minutes, and get slaughtered. So we're just waiting, and Roy's, Roy comes out, and he's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you, why are you still here? And we're like, uh, we're waiting. There's a big storm coming. He's like, why? He couldn't even. Not, why, why aren't you guys hilarious. on the water? That's and uh, we're like, well, dude, we're just going to let this pass. I mean, it sucks, but it's going to be like an hour and, and it'll be clear and it'll be fine that we can go out there, dude. But it looks nasty. He's like, what? I'm going. So he just goes and we're like, damn, maybe we should go too, dude. So we launch our boats. I get out to my first spot, dude, and, and just the most wicked thunderstorm ever just starts popping off. So, dude, I have to go sit underneath, underneath a slip for the next hour. Everything got soaked. I got scared, and it was like I got scared because I was in the middle of a lightning storm, dude. And instead of sitting in the house where it was safe and comfortable, same thing, I'm sitting underneath a marina with a metal roof. Uh, for the hour that's popping off. So I should have probably just gone with my gun on that one too. Yeah. A little peer pressure there, huh? That's it's amazing what it'll do even to, uh, to an adult, huh? Yeah. Especially when you're competing like that. Cause you're just like, am I going to miss out? So you get that dude. It's one of the worst things in the middle of a derby when that actually starts happening, because you know, there's a couple crazy dudes that are fishing through it, catching fish, but it's, it's just never worth it to me anyways. Nope. I mean, it's no. Nope. Too many, too many guys get struck. We talk about it all the time. 
You don't, I agree. Not worth it. So the odds are high. Well, right on. Um, and, and as far as, uh, the home front for me, it's actually been a relatively slow week, which is nice. Just getting caught up. I've got a long list of, of to do's and stuff that I just have been not putting off, but stuff that's been building up as I've been fishing back East. And, uh, I've been procrastinating on it a little bit, just kind of getting doing stuff with my kids and Chantel and, and just getting caught up. So that's been good, but getting some things done, um, starting to look at Champlain a little bit more after pre-fishing it last week, study that and uh, got ICAST coming up next week. So we'll likely chat when I'm, when I'm there because I'll be there with some time to kill. I've got a couple where, extra things. Going where do on. they hold ICAST now? Is that in Florida still? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was really fun when it was in Las Vegas, it was drivable yeah. for us and everyone liked it, but now it's, it's, it's been in Orlando uh, for maybe the last eight years or so, seven, eight years. So that's where it'll be again. I've got to go in like a few days early to, to do an extra event for Abu. So I'll be there for, for a full week. Um, and uh, I'll have a couple of days to kill. So I'm sure we'll chat when we're over there, but yeah, just getting ready uh, to plan for that. Um, one cool story that I wanted to mention, and this has been kind of circulating around the internet a little bit, but I forgot to mention it when it first happened. It, it's just a great feel good fishing story. Um, and a little background. I met, a guy named Joe McElroy um, in 2016. He was a marshal for me at an elite tournament on Lake Wheeler. And uh, we kind of hit it off a little bit. We stayed in touch. Just a really good guy. He's family friends with uh, the Lees, Jordan and Matt. You know, he's, he's really into photography and bass fishing. And, you know, he's been, he's been, you know, hanging out and taking photos and fishing with those guys since they were, you know, 12 years old. Um, so anyways, Joe gets into kayak fishing last year and he starts fishing kayak tournaments, maybe two years ago, he qualifies for the kayak national championship in Texas, a couple, like a month ago or so was the tournament. It was held in it, at Possum Kingdom Lake. It was held in conjunction with the classic and who also qualified for that tournament who just got into uh, kayak fishing is Jason Barofka, who we've had on the show before. Um, Jason actually just moved from California to Texas. He's JT's dad. Everyone knows JT, um, you know, with all the battles that JT's had to fight health wise, it's, it's, you know, everyone in the bass fishing community knows him, but Joe meets J uh, Jason at the tournament and he's just blown away at, at the whole story. Joe's got a huge heart. Um, and he's just blown away at everything that Jason and their families had to had to have gone through over the last couple of years. And Joe, literally, he's telling me this story, dude, and I don't believe him. He's telling me about these fish that he caught in the tournament. And I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. He's telling me about all these eight pounders and, and six pounders and nine pounders. And I'm like, dude, you're just, you're messing with me right now, you know? And uh, turns out, dude, he truly did literally find the mother load of all mother loads in this tournament he and someone else did too apparently because he finished second place but he i don't even remember what he what he caught weight wise but it was absolutely staggering out of his kayak he finished his second place wins five grand and then just hands the check to jason for jt that's phenomenal that's pretty cool man yeah yeah, yeah that's awesome. and not only did he did he 
hand that check over to, but he has been going so far out of his way to spread awareness for JT. It's been unbelievable, man. So is he I, the one that's that's sparking the tournament for JT? Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Yes, Very it's incredible, cool. dude. So you've even you've seen that that oh yeah around. for sure for sure. It's amazing. Yeah, we need to get some more details. Next episode, I'll have some more details on that tournament. Hopefully, it's not too late. Um, because I don't I think it is. I think it's one of those, um, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's a tournament where you can fish anywhere. It's an online tournament type thing. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, however, that, however that works, but it's super cool. So Yeah, well, look that up anyways, if, if, yep. if you guys can. And I'll get more uh, more. Details Give his name again. That. Joe McElroy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the tournament, well, I know the tournament is um, – it's named after JT, JT's tournament, maybe, I think. There you go. So, so that's an easy Google. That's yeah. cool. Or search on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. and it, it is cool. I guess it, that's the ultimate way to have participation, especially for a good cause, is to be able to do it from anywhere. Everyone's going to have right. fun with it, and it's going to the best cause you could ever have. So um, super cool. Yeah, enter, uh, enter up if you're going to fish or not. It doesn't matter. Just enter up to it, you know. So exactly. Pretty cool. Yeah, yep, 100%. Very cool. Joe's got a big heart and uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're thinking about them a lot constantly with Jason and his family. So pretty cool. And I know Jason's stoked to be living in Texas now, man. You know, he uh, he's out of California and just just loving Texas. Their family is, is stoked to be out there. I saw them at the Classic as well. Very so cool. I actually uh, saw JT. Yeah, JT there, man. He was looking great. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's doing well from what I understand. So making strides. So. He looked great. Yeah. Good. That's good, yeah. man. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I know you've been following him um, on some not great news. Uh, Lake Mead, dude, it just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. And uh, I wanted to ask you, man, like, when do you think, so that Lake there's, it's, the tournament's still going to happen. The U.S. Open is still going to happen no matter what. But it might be challenging because we're losing a lot of the boat ramps just due to low water. And it's, it's interesting because as, as a stupid angler like myself, not knowing anything about the real situation with the lake and the boat ramps and stuff, it's mind-blowing to me that um, there's, there's like – they're saying that the boat ramps are drying up and it's mind blowing to me that there's nothing that can be done to extend the boat ramps, but it's literally to the point where like you have a Marina in the back of a cove or in the back of a Creek and the boat ramp is now at the bottom of the lake bed in that Creek. And even if you kept extending it out, there we're coming to the point where you can't even get your boat out of the Creek because it's going to close off potentially like at the mouth. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> you know, like Temple Bar, the boat ramp, they can keep throwing blocks, but dude, eventually that thing is going to be a half mile from the water. So, and I think that's kind of some of the concern or some of the issues that we're running into. Um, as of right now, apparently there are, there's one lane open at Colville Bay and one lane open at um, Hemingway boat launch. And that's it. It's, it's unbelievable. Just, thank goodness they're bass fishermen are not pleasure boaters. Yeah. 250 pleasure boaters would take all week to launch. And think, at least think the, about what that lake is like <laughs> on a weekend right now, dude. You're right. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Colville, I mean, that used to be what a 20 boat ramp. I mean, 20 wide. The thing was giant back in the day. Really? When it had I've never, never experienced yeah. that. Yeah. It was big. When's the last time it was full? Oh, I don't know. I no idea. 
No was idea. it full when you were fishing it a lot? No, I mean, there was a couple times where it was, I don't know if I'd go as far to say full, but I mean, there was, there was times where you could go way up in the Virgin River and the Muddy River and up into the Grand Wash and stuff. And um, I mean, the Virgin and the, and the Muddy looked like the back of Roosevelt when, you know, the back of Tonto Creek when it was full, just trees everywhere. And um, it hasn't been there in 20 years. So I'm just, I- it's kind of crazy to see how far it's come down in 20 years, I guess, is the point I'm making. Like it's scary because it, it keeps going down and it's not, there's, you know, we're used to these smaller desert lakes um, that, you know, they might be down for 10 years and then all of a sudden you get a good season of storms and they fill up and, you know, mead, it's just getting to the point where like, I don't know if those storms ever happen again yeah. enough. I mean, you're going to need five years of storms to. It takes to, an act of God. Yeah. You yeah. just get a good year out here and, and, and it'll fill these lakes up. Same with Northern California is the same way, but. Um, yeah. The siphon uh, pulling it out of the lake is so much greater than what's happening in. Yeah. You know, I think it's the Western slope of, of Colorado that we depend on to get a lot of that water into the Colorado river. And it's just, it's just not getting what it used to. So it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, man. That's the, that's the big problem. So we're keeping our eyes on that with any luck. It's, it's still a giant Lake. I mean, it just, is, I mean, it still is it. There's still, it's still hundreds of feet deep and it's, yeah. you know, uh, still 50 miles long, but um, just in comparison to what it could be. And, and, just losing five feet a year, five feet a year, five feet a year. It just yeah. eventually that, that catches up to you and it's really happening right now. And it's sad, dude, to see some of these, these marine, like some of these marinas, there were big marinas up in the Overton that are now done. They're toast, you know, they're miles from the water. And um, we're seeing it now with Temple Bar, you know, that's a, that's another place that I don't know, dude, I, you know, I don't know what they're doing or what they've done to try to prepare for this. But I mean, when it dries up, it dries up and there's no lake there. So we'll see. Um, I had one more thing I wanted to get to before we get to Rick. And, and I always uh, will shout out the best on tour blog, the Bass Blaster blog, when they have interesting information or a cool little tidbit. And this one came from our buddy Dave, best on tour. Um, he's got a little section called a segment called money matters. It's an email blog. If you guys want to check it out, it's called best on tour. Um, and you hear the term F one bass or tiger bass being thrown around quite a bit. You know, it's a, apparently what it is is it's a combination. It's, it's, it's a cross between an aggressive Northern strain bass bred with a, Florida strain bass, a trophy Florida strain bass. And that is supposed to create an aggressive big fish, you know, and a lot of people that are putting ponds together, um, stocking different bodies of water where they're able to do it, they're putting these things in. And it just kind of blew my mind at how expensive these little bass are. Um, These little dudes, they cost 135 for a two to three inch fish, which obviously doesn't have a $1.35, which doesn't have a super high survival rate. If you want a six to eight inch fish, they're going to cost you about $9 each. Wow. So pretty interesting, man. I mean, especially like, I guess if you're stocking <laughs> a small pond, that's not that big of a deal, but if you got a big body of water, like, I don't know, dude, that's pretty expensive, right? 
Yeah, I'll take a dozen. See how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're on the long term program, man. We'll Crazy! See. Wow. Hopefully, you got a couple active ones, man, and they have they don't get uh, eaten up by uh, by birds or something like that when you put them in there. But I thought that yeah, was I mean pretty the su- survival rate of the nine inches can't even be that great, you know? I mean, sure, yeah, insane, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, Do you? Is there any long-term, is there any long-term research on those fish? Like after someone has put them in what, what they're doing and how big they're getting? And it's a good question, man. There's actually, I would suggest going to that article um, because okay. without me, uh, I had skimmed it over and, uh, okay. but I could, and I could give terrible cliff notes, but uh, for you and the listeners, I would go to the blog. There's a link to a longer article. David just kind of put a synopsis in the blog too, but there's a long article with a lot a lot of stuff in there, but you know, living here in Arizona, we don't know. I don't know anything about pond management and small lake management because you just don't have that. Like, if you lived in Texas or Alabama, Kentucky, you have a lot more people that have their own lakes and ponds. Oklahoma yeah. and out here, you just don't have it, man. In this climate, first off, there aren't that many people that have land, and uh, you know, it's because it, we live in a city here in Phoenix, but. Um, people just don't have their own ponds. So that stuff's all and, new and all interesting to me, but do you know anyone and, in Arizona that's got their own little pond, dude? Yeah, there's a couple I can think of. I mean, Arizona is like 84% public land. So, I mean, there's not, that's the problem right there, huh? That's, that's the the best thing about Arizona, in my opinion. Well, but, yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. People it's don't good have, thing, but it's why, why you don't see the ponds. Yeah. But there's, um, you know, where top of the world is when you go to globe, the yeah. high spot. Yeah. Um, there's a guy in the somewhere back in there. Uh, Boyd went up there with a buddy. His dad knows this guy. He's got a gorgeous chunk of land with a bass pond on it, and they just smoked him in it. But what happens to a lot of these ponds is they're they're um, they'll take like a creek and they'll dam them up, and then like we were talking about before, our monsoons. I know multiple people that have had them washed out and then they just, you know, wash all their fish out of them and everything washes dies. their dam and then it's yes. toast. Interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah, that makes where sense. Sunflower is uh, on your way up to Roosevelt, that direction. Um, I had a guide client that had, his neighbor had a big bass pond right there and that's what happened to it. It washed it out. So it's just, you get these flash floods and there's nothing stopping them. So that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's pretty sense. rare. I think it's a pretty rare deal to have a bass pond in Arizona. Uh, my uh, <laughs> my good friend Steve that passed away, uh, going on five years now. He had like a koi pond in his backyard with giant largemouth in it. No way! In Phoenix? Oh yeah, yeah. In Mesa, just how like long in did his, they live, dude? Dude, he had he hand fed them rats or not rats but mice. <laughs> mice. Um, he would get water dogs. He like, he literally would walk up to it and the fish would swim to the edge and like, he could dangle it over and grab sick. it out of his hand. That's so, cool. Dude. Like, I have know. you ever seen a, have you ever seen a little white mouse swim across the pond and just absolutely get destroyed? Pretty cool. Oh, I'm sure it'd be amazing. Yeah. That's pretty, that's very cool, dude. I'll tell you what, man. Every his, time, I mean, what he had to do, I got all. Every that? story, I, every story you've got about Steve, it starts with a smile, man. That's how I know he was your buddy. Dude, he's a classic. Like, I mean, it, I, I don't know. I, I will just be by myself and think about him and literally smile. Like, yeah. it's insane. It's, it's pretty insane. cool. Yeah, yeah. So, that's awesome. Well, dude, uh, 
that uh, that's all good stuff. I think uh, it's about time to send it over to Rick. I think everyone's going to enjoy this episode. He is currently the coach. Oh, one more thing, Rob, please go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you during that part. But, um, I'm going to finish up my boat carpet today and I will take photos of it and we'll put it on anglers happy hour, uh, Instagram. Just, uh, it's a DIY project and I think it's turning out pretty good and it'd be cool for folks to check it out. So love it. Yeah. We haven't yeah. actually, and I did a poor job of asking Rob's completely remodeling his boat right now. We should be documenting and talking about the whole thing. So that's the next step. Uh, he's got the new seats, he's got his new trailer and now the carpet's going in. How, dude, how has it been so far? What was the toughest part? Uh, I mean, so the far carpet? the carpet's been the toughest just cause it's time consuming. Um, I've got the entire front deck done. I've got the, uh, the floor done and all I have to do now is the lids in the back. So I just, awesome. I bounce around and like, like I like stuff complete. So I finish the entire front front deck versus, you know, I just like to see what it looks like. So, but it's coming together and I'm pretty happy with it. I've had a ton of help, uh, from Sean coffee. We've had him on the podcast before he's, I think he does two boats a week almost um, for basically that's what his job is between guiding and uh, yep. doing boat carpets. So that's hard work, man. Props to him. But he, he was able to give me enough tips to where I was able to get myself through it. So pretty that's cool. cool. But, You're handy. Yeah, sorry dude, to, sure so, sorry awesome. to interrupt you with. Uh, no, that's demeanor. great, man. I forgot to ask you about it. So uh, we'll, we'll make sure to post that picture, snap those. I'm stoked to see it too. Um, and yeah, yeah, Rick will be, uh, I think he'll be an interesting interview. He's the coach of like his full-time gig right now is he's a college fishing coach. So we thought it might be interesting to get a, a college fishing coach on to talk about just what that is like. That's very interesting. We're all sports guys um, and we're all fishing guys. So it'd be interesting to see how, and, and obviously Rob, you know, baseball super well, college baseball. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of comparisons and similarities and differences there are in college fishing to other sports and um rick's got a pretty wild just uh, impressive history in the sport as well he's in uh rob said you said he's in the missouri sports hall of fame yeah that's what i found that's pretty cool so, that's yeah and, and this is yeah. all off of fishing he was actually um essentially the guy i reported to my boss for for a long time with nitro and bass pro he's He's been in the industry and worked in, in the industry for a long time. So looking forward to uh, chatting with him and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. All right, Rick, we've uh, made our intros off air, man, but I just want to say again, thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining us. What, uh, what are you up to this weekend? Well, I was going to be down at our lake house and actually should have been on the water right now, but uh, I had a high school event, fishing event, uh, world championship I attended yesterday. And then uh, me and my wife were going to head down after, the, after that and go to the lake. And we had some really bad thunderstorms come through uh, yesterday afternoon and evening. And we actually lost power. So we ended up not going. So I'll probably go down and uh, fish a little bit after this interview here. So, But, yeah, I was, I was planning on being on the water when we were talking. <laughs> That's cool. So you, you have a place in Springfield, but then your lake house is at Table Rock. Are you in Springfield uh, for your, you know, Monday through Friday spot? Yeah, uh, we live in Nixa just outside of Springfield, but my office uh, over at Drury uh, where I coach is, uh, is in Springfield. And then, yeah, we've got a lake house down 
especially in Reed Spring, uh, right on Table Rock. So we love it and go down there about every weekend. How long have you been fishing Table Rock, man? I, I, I wonder how many hours you've spent on that lake. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. Uh, let's see. Probably since I was uh, 10 years old. So uh, 49 years, I hate to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's amazing. Uh, I, and, and Rick, he's done, he's done everything from tournament fishing to uh, everything under the sun. Um, I've always been blown away how much he night fishes, you know, uh, you don't hear a ton about night fishing anymore. Rick's always been a night fisherman, but, uh, before we dive into the interview, uh, I talked about it a little bit before we brought you on, but, um, can you just give the listeners like a little background? You've got an unbelievably storied career in the outdoors, but like, how did you start in the outdoors? What have been some of the positions you've had? And then what are you doing now? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I started with Bass Pro Shop when I was uh, 22 years old. Uh, I was still attending college and uh, selling boats part-time. So I started out selling boats part-time. There was only one Bass Pro location at that time. It was in Springfield, Missouri, and people would drive from across the country to, to come down and pick up their Bass Tracker boats. Uh, so it was pretty cool. And then uh, as the boats started getting more popular, Johnny realized that he couldn't just sell boats through one location. Uh, he developed a dealer network of Tracker Marine dealers. So I had a, a position open up there that I accepted. Uh, it was a technical services position. I was pretty familiar with boats and, and kind of troubleshooting some issues and such. So I took that position and that kind of led into some different things within the company, uh, technical services manager and parts manager. I uh, ended up moving over to marketing in 2000 and uh, coordinated our uh, photo and video shoots, which was pretty cool. So I was on the lake, oh, about six or seven months out of the year. Uh, so that was really cool. And then, uh, positioned opened up in 2008. Uh, of course I had tournament fished and been around boats all my life and fishing and a position for managing the pro staff opened back up. Uh, and uh, I was kind of a natural fit for that. So I accepted that position. That's how I got to know you, Josh. And, uh, I did that, uh, until I recently retired from Bass Pro in, uh, in January, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, before that I had accepted a coaching position at Drury University to coach the bass fishing team. And, uh, I was recommended by Charlie Campbell, who was a local, uh, Ozark legend and, and kind of a known for Zara spook fishing. If, uh, if you've heard of Charlie Campbell, but anyway, Charlie oh, yeah. was an alumni and, uh, he recommended me and uh, <clears throat> my dad, uh, he was Bass Pro's original fishing department manager and he had worked there 37 years before he passed. Anyway, he, he loved taking kids fishing and introducing kids to fishing. And in that, uh, when that position opened up, I thought, you know, that'd be pretty cool for me to kind of step in and, and kind of mentor these kids and, and do the, you know, similar thing. So I accepted that and it, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we had some success, uh, took us a while to reach some success. I just had to 
work with the kids that are already going to Drew University the first year. But then after I was able to recruit, we built a pretty strong team. And uh, in fact, this past year, we won the uh, Major League Fishing National Championship and finished seventh in the national rankings. So uh, so that's what I'm doing now. I, I retired from Bass Pro and I'm doing, doing this actually full-time now. So really loving it and, and enjoying working with these kids. And, you know, it's just kind of, Whoever thought, you know, when I was uh, growing up that I would one day be a bass fishing coach at a university. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unreal. I, it I think is. it's so cool. Oh, it, it Rick, is. And, Rick, and I just – go ahead. What's your day-to-day as a coach? I mean, are you, you – you said you have an office at the university and – I mean, do you guys have like daily practices? Do you get together every day? Are the kids, um, I, I guess, player? I don't know what you call them. I, I guess you'd call them a player, right? Athletes. Um, athletes, well, student athletes. <laughs> student athletes is what we call them, yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, I mean, are, are you in contact with them every day as if like a basketball coach or a baseball coach would be? No, not every day. Uh, of course, school's out right now, and uh, but we have tournaments uh, even in the summer. The the bass fishing season lasts actually all year, so our biggest, uh, most number of tournaments is in the spring. That's our biggest part of the season, but we'll have some tournaments in the summer. Some of the national championships happen in the summer, and then we'll fish uh, again in the fall, so our season lasts throughout the year, but uh, as far as on a day-to-day, you know, we do do a lot of traveling. So during our tournament seasons, uh, the events will usually leave and, and go practice for two or three days, and then the tournament's either a day or two, depending on the uh, the circuit. So when we travel, you know, we're gone most of the week. Uh, so there's a lot of travel associated with it. Now, when we're back, we try to have a practice or a team meeting at least once a week. But we're not like, you know, the basketball team where you practice every day. Uh, When our guys are, you know, at the lake fishing, even on their own, you know, they're, they're practicing fishing. Anytime you're on the water, they're, they're learning and practicing. So we don't necessarily have to be together, uh, you know, uh, as a team when they're doing that, but we'll have team meetings and, and some practices here and there. Uh, What I do, uh, when we're not traveling in the office, I'm usually researching high school tournaments and anglers and, and kind of recruiting. It, it's almost like, uh, you know, say the ba- the basketball coach would be recruiting. I'm, I'm doing some research. I travel to high school tournaments and, and get, try to get to know individuals and, you know, who's, uh, who's finishing well and, so there's just a lot of research. Uh, I'll, I'll actually watch YouTube videos of fishing and electronics and things that I can learn myself to try to teach these kids, you know, other than the experience I already have. So it's uh, it's a little bit unique. It's not a day-to-day office job for sure. Yeah. What's your uh, what's your perfect student athlete as far as fishing goes? Obviously, uh, tournament finishes are important, but I mean what makes a well-rounded guy that you want to bring on the team? Uh, let's say GPA, um, ability to speak stuff like that, or, or what are you looking for? What, what's a young man need yeah. to be to, to be on jury's uh, team? 
Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. You, you hit it on the head there. GPA actually is one of the most important things that I look for. Awesome. And wow. uh, Drury's a uh, Drury's a, a great university, very academic oriented. So uh, a high GPA definitely is something that I look for, and that that qualifies them for a good academic scholarship. And then I'm able to. Uh, throw on some some extra money on the bass fishing side as well so you know that's first and foremost first uh something that i look for as far as gpa <clears throat> second you don't have to win every tournament that you're in in the high school level but you know results but help but the the passion for the the sport is what i look for uh you know these guys uh eat and sleep uh fishing you know uh they just have the passion for it, just like you and I and, and Josh. Uh, you know, they these tournaments, if you don't have the passion, it's going to show really quick. Uh, you know, they're up, sun up, practice to sundown, get their gear ready that evening, turn around and do it again. So there's actually very little time to, to do their schoolwork during an event. So if they didn't have that passion and, and then making up the – the homework and tests later, it would, it would wear on them really quick. So that's, uh, having that passion for the sport is really one of the most important things that I look for, uh, tournament success, you know, uh, naturally I want to try to recruit, you know, some of the top anglers and, and I'm looking for anglers. Uh, when I originally, you know, started, I was just getting local guys from Missouri, but, I'm looking for anglers all across the country to, that are, you know, kind of have experience on different lakes because we'll travel around, you know, across the, the country. The tournaments are a lot in the southeast and in central area, but there's some up north. There's going to be some out west. And so I'm looking for anglers that, you know, that have that experience on some different lakes across the country. That's interesting, Rick. So, so with that being said, when you guys go to an event, how many teams, like how many kids do you typically bring? And is there a lot of information being shared amongst the different teams? Cause I know they're two man teams, but like if you got, if you got three teams, are they all helping each other out during the event? That's something that I really encourage. And, and I've had some challenges with that to be, be honest with you. They're fishermen, uh, right? Naturally, <laughs> naturally the, the team wants to be the, the highest finishing team, but, it is a team sport and our, uh, our performance, uh, on the tournaments is judged by depending on the circuit, either your, your top two person teams or one circuit, your two top teams count towards team of the year points, which is kind of like your national ranking. So it's, uh, especially on lakes we haven't fished before it's to the advantage, uh, for the team to help share information and you know you, you can't break down a lake as you know uh, a big lake in two days usually on your own so it it definitely helps for them to share information and you know you don't have to give waypoints or you know exact locations but just uh, you know if they found they're they're catching them in the grass shallow or or catching them you know on points a little bit deeper or something it it's to the advantage to share information and and I have to constantly remind them of that because sometimes, you know, they, the team, obviously the two person team wants to do the best and they're not fishing against, you know, our teammates We're fishing against the fish in the lake. So 
uh, it's to the advantage to help each other. But as far as number of teams, uh, our program now, and it's growing and has uh, each year. Right now, uh, last year, last season, we had 12 uh, teams or uh, 12 people. So we we took usually three to five teams to each event. Uh, some of these larger schools that have uh, 30, 40, 50 kids, they, they'll take uh, sometimes up to 12, 15 teams. So we're at a little bit of a disadvantage there. Uh, obviously, the more teams you take, the the better odds you, you know, your chance of finishing high. So that's what something I was really proud of with with us uh, finishing seventh in the in the country last season is we were taking three to five teams to these events and that uh, some of the other teams were taking much more. So now this year, uh, this season in the, in the fall we're I've recruited nine so far and we, we have eight returning anglers. So I'm going to have 17 and I hope to grow the program to probably 25 or so. That's to me seems like a good number. And, Naturally, the school wants me to bring in as many kids as we can to, uh, you know, for tuition. So, um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're building our program. And like I say, I hope to get to 25 at some point in the near future. It's a cool process. Go ahead, Rob. Rick, are you going to attend the combine that's coming up? I am. Yeah. That's something that was, was pretty cool that, uh, Actually, Hank Weldon with Bass uh, had uh, mentioned that to me several months back, and and some other coaches and wanted to get our ideas and input. And yeah, I'll be there. That's uh, that's going to be really cool. It, it's something that uh, it's kind of like, uh, say, a combine would be for football, where coaches are going to be attending, and some of the uh, the anglers are going to be participating in like a skills contest and we'll get to actually fish with them on the water and see their skill level. And uh, it's a great way to have some of your top high school anglers together in one location where the coaches can meet them and, and see, you know, what their skill levels are. I'm so jealous of these young men and women that are getting to do this. It's so cool. (laughs) So cool. Yeah. Every, uh, every angler that, you know, a little bit older angler that, you know, was, uh, before college fishing existed, they, they tell me that. And I feel the same way too. Yeah. If I had this in college, I'd still go to college, you know, still yep. be in college. So. Would it be weird if a 50 year old showed up to the combine? <laughs> not, not, a, not at all. If you have okay. the eligibility, uh, I do. It yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the tournaments we attended down on Bull Shoals, um, uh, this was, uh, before my hair was getting really gray. Uh, <laughs> it's got a little gray now, but there was a, there was an angler and he was, uh, I don't know how old he was. He was probably 55 or so, but he was fishing, uh, for one of the Arkansas schools. No way. And, and I said, awesome. I said, man, I, I may have to ask for his student ID if, if they did well. They ended up not doing very well, but it's like so. Yeah, there you'll see. Uh, you'll see some older anglers that you know maybe were in the military and are, are going back to college or something, or or just never went to college and actually want to be involved in, with this. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. How about it costs so much to go to tournaments. Um, how much is, does a school help out with, with kids? Uh, how much um, sponsorship are they available to get? 
um, you know, being a student athlete up until just recently, you were unable to get any, you know, any sponsorship. Is that something that these, um, the student athletes can get? Well, it, we are a very, we're probably the most expensive collegiate sport that mm-hmm. there is. You can imagine taking five teams, uh, traveling eight hours to an event and back, uh, five hotel nights, food, boat gas. Uh, and one thing about our program is Drury does cover all of the travel expenses for the event. So wow. some of the collegiate <laughs> programs that don't have a coach uh, and, and maybe the students, you know, form the club on their own and cover their own expenses, they're, they're paying, you know, 10,000 plus a, a year out of their own pocket just to go to these tournaments. But uh, the school does help. The first uh, several years, the budget uh, wasn't very much. <laughs> they really didn't understand uh collegiate bass fishing and how expensive it was and I was in in my position uh, with with uh, Bass Pro and White River I was uh, able to have uh, a lot of items donated that I would auction off uh, maybe anglers fishing jerseys uh, fishing trips things like that so I I would raise a lot of money on my own doing that Uh, now the school stepped up as I'm doing this full-time and uh, they have increased our budget, but I'm still having to raise a lot of money, especially as we grow more uh, students to the program. I'm still raising money on my own. In fact, I have a uh, a raffle that's going right now for a fishing trip with Bill Dance on one of his little private lakes there. So, How many uh, coaches can get that pulled together? That's pretty yeah, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I do use that to my advantage, I have to say. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, the the school is stepping up and, and helping us out. But one great thing about collegiate bass fishing is it's a, it's a club sport. It's not an NCAA sport. Being a club sport, we can have sponsors and we can have sponsor logos on our jerseys. Uh, the kids can go fish tournaments on their own, jackpots and, and win money, you know, on their own. So if it was an NCAA sport, you know, we would just have Drury University on our on our jersey, no sponsor logos, couldn't, you know, accept uh, rods and reels and, and sponsor uh, equipment. Uh, they couldn't win money on the weekends or anything like that on fishing tournaments on their own. So it, it is good that it's a club sport and it needs to stay that way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Very interesting. Uh, so taking it back uh, to the to the fishing side, um, actually, Rob, did you have a question on this? Before mm-hmm. I go, okay. Go ahead. Um, I'm sure that, you know, obviously you've got such a long history of tournament fishing yourself. You've been around so many tournaments. Um, you've got a super vast knowledge. What are some things that, you know, you've kind of learned from fishing in the past that you've been able to teach these kids, maybe technique or mentality wise? And then what are a couple things or one thing that the kids have actually taught you um, since you've been involved? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I can I can kind of teach them on uh, some experience and, and techniques, and some of them, you know, didn't really even know what flipping was, you know. Uh, sure. But uh, so just kind of, a, you know, with experience and techniques and things like that and kind of some of the mental strategy uh, is, is maybe where I'm strong at. But these kids are just uh, – 
geniuses with electronics and and all the younger kids are and and josh you are you know i consider you young <laughs> and uh, that makes me feel good they've been <laughs> they've been around uh you know computers and iphones and just electronics all their lives so it doesn't intimidate them like it does some of uh you know the older people like myself so you know they're great with forward facing technology uh side scan all that so they actually are, you know, better than I am. I've, I've been using forward-facing technology now for four years, but I'm still not an expert at it. And and they can go out and, you know, they uh, they're using that to, you know, to to help uh, catch most of their fish. A lot of times, depending on time of year and and uh, technique and everything. But in fact, uh, when we won the national championship on Grand in March, uh, that was a big player. Is uh, the forward-facing technology. So that's, you know, they, um, they're not intimidated by electronics by any means. So that's kind of their strong suit and, and they've actually helped me. That's, that's very cool. Now, so with that being said, you know, because we see it in tournament fishing, I don't know if it's a 50, 50 split or, you know, or whatever, but you know, sometimes it, the tournaments go down fishing offshore on your electronics and sometimes they go down throwing a spinnerbait or flipping on the bank. So, so being that these kids are growing up with the electronics, do you ever find yourself like mid tournament sometimes having to be like, okay, guys, let's, let's simplify this a little bit and let's get back on the bank and, and let's just put a flipping stick in our hand. Well, one thing about collegiate fishing is, during once the event starts and off limits start, I can actually give them advice as a coach, and that's something. Yeah, that's something that's really unique about collegiate fishing, and I understand the reason why they want the kids to find the fish and and make the decisions on their own. They don't want a coach helping them. They don't want a parent on the water helping them. So parents and coaches can't be on the water or they can't give advice once the event starts. So, um, you know, I can, up to leading up to the event, you know, we'll have team meetings and we'll go over the lakes and, you know, I have to say, sometimes I use my resources, uh, to visit with some of our pros and maybe have a conference call. And, you know, if they're familiar with the lake, uh, talk about, you know, what they would do and stuff. So the, I use those, you know, resources up until off limits sometimes but once the event starts the kids have to make the decisions and, and figure it out on their own and they do talk you know amongst each other after practice uh or, you know or after competition day that evening and and then you know i encourage that but you know i can't really tell them anything once the event starts that makes sense go ahead Rob. rick yeah. rick is a i'm just saying if i'm a dad of a of a fisherman that wants to come wants to fish in college i would i would be apt to encourage him to go to drury just because of your experience uh, running probably one of the biggest pro staffs in the industry i mean that's got to play uh when you're recruiting doesn't it 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 does and um you know most of these <clears throat> most of these kids they they want to go on to the next level either fishing uh, professionally or uh, they want to be involved in the fishing industry, maybe work for a manufacturer. So I have to say that does help when I'm uh, in the recruiting process uh, with my experience and, 
history, I can I can kind of open some doors for them that maybe some other programs can't. And I'll have to say I try I do use that to my advantage. <laughs> I do bring yeah. that up during the interview process uh, with the the student and his parents. I mean, so yeah, it, it definitely does help. Yeah, I mean, you've seen every you've seen how some of the biggest pros in the in the game how they how they do it, and that's got to be. Uh, it's got to be a huge advantage. Do you, um, one other question I have is, um, do you have someone on your team that's, let's say the next Jordan Lee? Um, do you have one that you could point out or do you not want to single one out? Um, I mean, is there, is there someone that's just super talented on you, on yours, um, on the jury team? Well, there's there's a couple anglers that that are that I think are going to have a future. I really don't want to name names uh, just to be gotcha. fair to the That's other kids, horse. but yep, That's yeah, fair. I think uh, uh, Jordan Lee's going he's got some pretty big shoes to fill. But I, uh, agree. I, yep. I definitely have a couple of kids that that I know are going to go on to the next level. In fact, uh, one angler is is fishing pro tournaments uh, now. Well, actually, two, and uh, and having success. So. Uh, and I was actually kind of afraid that one of them may, may not end up going to college and going right to the next level, but to get the one thing that helps is, you know, with, with, uh, with the university paying the expenses for four years, he's getting to go to all these lakes and get all this experience without, you know, other than the tuition that he's paying, he's getting a college education plus getting all of these, uh, this experience on these lakes that he'll be fishing as a pro. So, yeah. uh, his parents, number one, wanted him to get a college education and, and two, that is an advantage of the school paying, you know, the expenses to travel. So, uh, it's, it's works out great for, you know, for his parents on both sides He's getting that education and the experience. Let's let's talk about that uh, individual, but not by name. What do you what do you see in him um, as far is it how he handles himself on the water, off the water, combined? What's you, what's what does he have? Well, he he has the he has the experience. He's been fishing uh, tournaments uh, for several years, and uh, his his father actually fishes on the pro level as well. So if you do some research, you could probably figure out who I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so he he's got the uh, he's got that experience and uh, you know the history there and and there's a couple other anglers that um, don't have that going for them, but the, they've got the tournament experience and what they're learning at Drury, the uh, the uh, tournaments that they fished and had success on. It's just grooming them, you know, for the next level. So uh, they have the passion and, you know, just uh, they're eat up with fishing and uh, in, in the competition. So that's, you know, if they've, if they've got that, they're going to pursue the next level. Of course, the next level is not easy and, and it's expensive as well, but they're actually uh, uh, getting in with sponsors now. And that's, that's something that, I'm, uh, you know, I, it's kind of funny. I was on the other side with, with anglers reaching out to me for sponsorships. Now I've got my hand out reaching out to sponsors yep. <laughs> on the other side. So I know how both sides work and, and, uh, it is a little bit difficult for a company to commit to sponsoring a college team because they, they figure that 
Well, if I do it for one, I'm going to have to do it for everybody that asks. So I get that, but it's also a great opportunity for that company to develop a relationship early on. And, you know, these collegiate anglers are going to be fishing the rest of their lives. So they'll be using the equipment. They'll be towing their boats uh, around. So both endemic and non-endemic sponsors, there's a great opportunity for them to get uh, the, develop the relationship with these anglers early on. So that's kind of when I'm looking for for sponsorships. That's something that, you know, I try to uh, get the company to understand that, hey, I I get, you know, budgets are tied and, and this and that, but this is a great opportunity to get, get in with this angler early on. It's interesting. It definitely seems like, and just some of the companies that I work with, it seems like uh, that bracket the high school and college kids are a hundred percent on their radar obviously i mean they're smart and uh and it is it, it's exactly for the reasons you're saying is what i've heard is uh is you know getting them getting getting that relationship and loyalty started early on these kids are the future absolutely high school and collegiate fishing the last five years has just skyrocketed and uh there's there's thousands of anglers involved in it and and these are the uh the anglers that are going to be buying their equipment the rest of their lives so it's it's just a great opportunity if they if they don't uh see how big of an opportunity it is they're missing the boat for sure right on um hey and while we're on uh just on on the industry and stuff like that uh I wanted to ask you, since you've got one before anyone else I know, have you had your new uh, nitro on the water, the 21XL? I knew when I, I, knew when I said boat that would come up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I tell you, um, and I made a Facebook post about this. This, I think, is this is my 21st nitro boat that I've had, and uh, I can't tell you how excited I am about this boat. And uh, I was fortunate to get one of the first ones, um, and Josh, you're going to love this boat when it comes out. But nice. um, you know, they they changed not only the the deck where the layout and storage is different, and I knew I was going to love that. Uh, the storage is just the best storage we've ever had, and uh, the bow's a little bit different for mounting electronics. Uh, the looks a little different. It's it's just uh, some of the bells and whistles are really cool but where i was blown away was the performance when i when i put it on the water got the motor broken in and this past weekend uh, fourth of july weekend i was able to uh uh get it out and run it wide open <clears throat> of course i had to do that in the morning before all the boat traffic but uh, i was just amazed uh, with two people three quarters tank and full gear it was four to five miles an hour faster than my previous nitros uh with the load uh <clears throat> i don't like to quote speeds because they vary so much depending yep. on your location and load and everything but it uh, that's why i just you know people that have asked me i've told them the exact speed but it's a good uh easily four miles an hour faster wow. and I mean, what a difference uh, not not only speed wise but the center of gravity is different so uh, and, and they've also changed the hull where, you know, normally I would never have a boat out on a holiday weekend, a bass boat, but we went out a little bit later and just cruised around. 
and just the the way it took waves it, it was very soft entry through the waves you stayed dry and and very soft entry i was just amazed by the rough water ride and uh, actually didn't even mind being out on a bass boat on table rock on a holiday weekend so that place gets crazy it, in the uh, afternoons too that is uh that's a heck of a test for a boat yeah it it's it just uh boy the nitro design team just hit it out of the park with this one i'm very uh very excited about this boat and and uh we're going to sell tons of them so i, I know they're going to be hard to get for a while um and of course all the industries and, and several industries are going through supply issues right now with with different components and such but yeah this uh it's a it's a home run josh you're going to be really impressed with this boat when you get awesome. yours I can't wait, man. Um, and hey, uh, we're, we're about to let you go because I know uh, you've got a lot of stuff going today and appreciate you taking your time on a Sunday. Uh, I, I did want to ask you just real quick on the boat thing. I've, I've worked, um, you know, I've gone and done seminars and stuff at a couple of college events before. And one of my favorite parts of the event is looking at all the boats because I'm like, a, I've always been a bass boat junkie. I know you know that, Rick. It, you know, I love the new boats. I love the old boats. Like I was never into cars. I was always into bass boats since I was a teenager <laughs> and, you know, wanted my first bass boat. Um, but I think it's, it's really cool at the college events because you see the whole gamut. I mean, you've got aluminum boats, you've got old fiberglass boats, you've got new fiberglass boats. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the uh, college kids have some state of the art stuff, but but a lot of the college kids don't. So, do you find yourself or, or notice like uh, just up uh, teaching these kids about upkeeping their equipment? You know, keeping their boats in good shape. Um, and, and do you guys you find yourself working on boats during the tournaments at times? Yes, definitely. <laughs> and and like you say, you'll see, uh, you may see a, a John boat, you may see a fish and ski, you may see a bay boat, and you may see a $100,000 fully rigged wrapped boat out there. Yep. So you see the full gamut. Uh, and you know, our kids, that's one of the challenge of recruiting is in difference with our sport. You know, if a, to be on the basketball team, you need a pair of basketball shoes and uniform you know we need boats we're we're using two hundred dollar rods and reels and ten dollar baits you know so we uh you know our sports is not cheap and you know the main component of, of participating is the boat so when i'm recruiting you know the and the, the I've got to the point now where the level of anglers I'm recruiting they either have a boat or have access to a boat or their dad has a boat so uh, that's a you know not as important as it was when I first started the program finding kids that have boats but yeah they there may be you know some new boats uh, amongst our kids some some of them have newer boats some of them have a little bit older boats so uh, if there was ever a need for a service crew at at the events it would be at a college event. I bet. Uh, because they're, they, they're always working on boats and you'll see a lot of times when they're going through the takeoff kids on trolling motors, you know, they have motor problems and they're going to have to fish near the ramp with their trolling motor. So yeah, that's a, that's a big uh, thing we're always dealing with is, uh, is boat motor issues. And, um, even new boats, you know, will have issues here and there. And, you know, you guys, I know are in the service, uh, 
service lot a lot during your event. Oh, so yeah. it's it's a challenge. I wish we could get service crews at these events and and uh I think as hopefully as as they grow and continue to grow that the manufacturers even though you know times have been tough these last few years with budgets and stuff uh, it's a great chance for a manufacturer to have a service crew there and, and build that loyalty and help these kids out. And I'm hoping that at some point we can reach that point where service crews do go to these events. That's cool. Hey, I'm sure these college kids are uh, are not hard on their boats at all. They probably don't drive their boats fast or, or, or beat their equipment <laughs> up, do they? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. They they just putt around really slow. And, right, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we – we just got back from uh, from Saginaw Bay from the event up there, and that's the first event our team has been to up north. That you know, as you, as you know, it you know the wind blows a little bit up there, it can get get rough. So it uh, you know there was a lot of a uh, lot of equipment. Uh, our team unfortunately didn't have too many issues, but a lot of equipment issues up there, and just the rough water. So. Yeah, the, these kids, uh, and, I, and I have to tell them and constantly remind them, you know, hey, be careful out there. Uh, but, yeah, they, they like to go fast, too. So That's cool. I guess that never does go away. But I guess over time you, do, you learn that, hey, if, if, you know, if the trolling motor's hanging off the, the bow of the boat, when we get to our first spot, the fishing's not going to go too well. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure that your team, they, they know that, man. Um, well, Rick, this has been awesome. It's been one of the most interesting interviews we've honestly ever done. Um, Rob, do you have anything else to ask before we let them roll? Pretty much all I want to ask is, what are you going to do at Table Rock today? You said you're headed down there. What's what's the bite like down there, and what uh, what do you expect to catch? Well, I've I've missed the the morning bite. The the water is up uh, five or six feet, so they've it's up in the bushes. So normally we'd be drop shotting and. 30, 40 feet of water, uh, but there's actually been a pretty decent uh, buzzbait bite in the morning in the bushes and grass. Uh, I'll probably fish a little bit deeper when I go down there today, but yeah, uh, water being up, it's there's actually been a flipping bite later on in the day. Uh, all a lot of times uh, spoon docks, but I'll probably be out, out a little bit deeper with a football jig or drop shotting. Nice. Nice. And that fish, that lake is fishing well overall? It's fishing very well, especially okay. with the water up. Uh, in the summer, it, you know, it gets tough as far as the weights go, you know, just, uh, but there's always teams that, that find those deep fish and uh, find schools and, you know, have a good way. I do, as Josh said, I do a lot of night fishing and uh, I haven't fished a lot of night tournaments yet uh, this summer, but uh, I fished one the other night and actually got second. So I'm hoping to fish a few more the rest of the summer here. But cool. night fishing is always good on Table Rock. That's got to be an interesting lake to run at night. Is I mean, it's there's a lot of points and coves, and <laughs> I'm sure you're yeah, used to it. But <laughs> I'm used to it. I, it's funny. I have terrible night vision, and it gets worse as I get older. But I love night fishing. So yeah. you know, I rely on my GPS a lot. And yeah. uh, of course, when there's a full moon, it's it's a lot better to navigate, but yeah, if I didn't know the lake well, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't feel comfortable running it at night. Are you a black light guy, uh, Rick, or do you just go, uh, you know, just by feel? You know, I, I have a great, uh, nightlight, uh, system built into the rub rail that I've been using for several years. And 
when I throw uh, slow moving baits, jigs, worms, I'll use it so I can, you know, see my line. But actually, when I'm throwing like slow rolling a spinner bait or throwing a crankbait or something, I don't use it because I don't want to actually see the line jump. Uh, so yeah, it. Um, I, I use it on slow baits, but not moving baits. That makes perfect sense. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, cool. And uh, for any, uh, for us and any of the listeners that want to follow the team, you know, as you guys travel around and fish and, and potentially support the team, how can we do that? Where do we find uh, info on the team? We've got a Facebook page, uh, Drury Bass Fishing. Uh, I've got an Instagram page that uh, one of the anglers uh, developed a few years ago and and graduated so I, I don't even get on that anymore but i need to get that going uh you know being an old person facebook's what i get in on and these kids get on instagram <laughs> so i need <laughs> yep. to get that going uh but yeah uh, drury bass fishing is our facebook page and that's a good way to follow us and uh if you want to buy a raffle ticket for bill dance uh, fishing trip and some other prizes you can you can find it there too so awesome. when does that uh, end shameless Shameless plug. <laughs> hey, that's, I'm glad you brought it up. When does that raffle end? Because this will, so we're uh, talking Sunday. This is going to come out uh, late tonight, early tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's through. I've, I've got a live Facebook drawing for the prizes uh, August 30th. So, yeah, plenty there's of plenty time. of time for that. And uh, I've got uh, a couple other prizes, uh, another guide trip up at Mille Lacs Lake, a kayak, a Rick Clunt autographed jersey. So there's some other pretty cool prizes. Too. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> and Josh, if you want to send cash. an autograph, <laughs> Josh, if you want to send an autographed jersey, I'll take that and put it in there too. Yeah, that's a drop <laughs> in the bucket compared to these other guys, but I'd be uh, these other st- uh, deals. But uh, I'd be glad to I'd be glad to do it, man. We we really appreciate it, Rick. This has been cool, great catching up, and uh, yeah, I would I hope to see you soon. I would love to uh, you know uh, get on the water with you at Table Rock next time I'm in the area, and and anytime you know, I know you guys never really come out west for tournaments, but I hope you call me if you ever do. I'd love to talk to the team. Absolutely, and you know I. One thing I do miss uh, all these years is is our pro staff and working with you guys. You know, that was just being an angler. That was just probably the, the best job I could ever had. And we had a great pro team, still do, and, and I follow you guys. And that's one thing I miss is getting, uh, getting to contact you guys, you know, on a weekly basis and, and all that interaction. But absolutely, uh, anytime you're, you're up in this area, look me up, and if I get out there, I'll holler at you. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. Um, same goes with you. And, uh, Hey, thanks. Thanks very much. We'll let you hit the lake, but, uh, we will, uh, we'll talk to you again soon, Rick. All right, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Of course. See ya.